This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden, and today I wanted to give Michael Stebbins, the artistic director at Door Shakespeare, a call to talk about their new production of Rosalind, uh, which they're doing in a very interesting and unique way. It's going to premiere on September 2nd, so I thought I'd give him a call to chat all about how they put this play together. We'll jump into that right now. Hi, this is Michael. Hi, Michael. It's Andrew. How are you? Hello, Andrew. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for coming on the Door County Pulse podcast. Uh, I've been meaning to talk to you guys over at Door Shakespeare for a while, uh, and this seems like a a really cool opportunity to kind of do that. Uh, You guys are gearing up to premiere your new production, Rosalind, on September 2nd, correct? We are. We are indeed. Perfect. Uh, we're going to jump into what makes this piece unique because you've, you've done something really interesting with it. Uh, but before we did that, uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit about your background. Maybe you can tell me a little bit about Door Shakespeare as well. But you, you've stepped up as the artistic director of Red Door Shakespeare a couple of years ago now, correct? Yeah, it was November of 2017. And I was raised in Wisconsin, down in uh, Kenosha. And uh, I went out east for schooling. I traveled around doing song and dance stuff for a while. And then I came to Milwaukee for my graduate work, University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee Professional Theater Training Program, um, which is a a conservatory, uh, which is no longer in existence. Went back out east for 15 years, ran a couple of theaters out east, and at a certain point in my life, 2014, I realized, oh, I miss the Midwest, and I miss the really nice people, and I miss the state of Wisconsin and the beauty. So I moved back, started working again, and then the opportunity came up to um, apply for the Door Shakespeare uh, position, which I did. And lo and behold, it all worked out, and here we are in 2020 in a pandemic. Yeah. Well, uh, you you definitely stepped in at, at a really interesting time. Oh God, yeah. Uh, but uh, but it seems like you have been making the most of it and trying to to do some new and interesting stuff. And like I said, we'll jump into the the details behind Rosalind here in a second. Sure. Uh, but. Uh, just in case anybody listening hasn't been to Dork Shakespeare, and, and I doubt that that is probably the case, but uh, give me a lowdown just as, as how you have seen Dork Shakespeare over the last couple of years. How would you describe what you do over there? Well, up in Dork County with the unique uh, unique theaters and opportunities, Dork Shakespeare sort of fills that niche, even though we're called Dork Shakespeare. We do repertoire of other classical plays and have over the last few years been venturing into a combination of classical and contemporary, all with a connection to Shakespeare. But one of the very unique things about Door Shakespeare now in its 25th uh, season is that we sit on the grounds of beautiful, um, beautiful acreage at a place called Bjork, London. And, uh, our outdoor theater seats 175, and it all takes place under this 150-plus-year-old enormous maple tree in the middle of uh, nowhere. 
right by Lake Michigan. And the atmosphere and what one experiences when they go there to see a play, it's sort of hard to put it into words. The main goal that we focus on each summer and throughout the year is how can we get people to go there because if you experience it for the first time, you're definitely going to be bad. So we pull on um, professional uh, theater artists, interns from college programs as well, uh, professional directors and designers from primarily the Midwest who come together each summer, uh, June through August, and putting on two to three outdoor shows and rotating rep. Uh and since I've been there, we've also been expanding further into the year to include things like a reading series during the off season. Um, and with this virtual world, we find ourselves now venturing into fall productions uh, online. So um, we have a lot to offer, but if people have not been to Door Shakespeare, and I thank you for saying you can't imagine that's many. Um, it really is a very unique and beautiful setting to see some really fine, fine theater up in, in Bailey's Harbor. You know, I've, I've had the opportunity to see some shows at Door Shakespeare and me and my wife have volunteered there before. And the two things that I really enjoy about it is that there's an immersive quality to the staging in that you're outdoors. And depending on the, the show that you're doing, you can you can sometimes feel the the nature creeping its way into the production. Uh, when I when I volunteered, you were doing The Tempest maybe four or five years ago now. Uh, and the night that I volunteered, it actually rained during the opening scenes uh so very very immersive not something that you guys plan for of course but uh always something that uh the, the very nature of live theater is that it's unpredictable in certain ways. And so oh. being out in the elements like that, I think is uh, something that enhances that flavor. Uh, and then the other thing that I really appreciate is that your, your set design, your props, your costume work tends to be more on the minimal side of things. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that is a, like a direct hearkening back to the way that these plays would have been performed back in the day uh, in terms of like, Say you had uh, an actor in a Shakespearean play who was moving into a courtroom or outside. Oftentimes they wouldn't have a set change. They would just have somebody hold up a sign that said where they are. Uh, not something that I've seen you guys do, but it, it, it harkens back to that idea of letting the actor's performance immerse you in the world rather than the set design or the staging. Sure. That's a great point. A lot of a lot of the work in a Shakespeare play, uh, especially, is done for you. Shakespeare says, a character speaks and says, welcome to the palace. And so all of a sudden we're in a palace. So a lot of, a lot of in order for the play to move on, as opposed to gargantuan set changes and things, I think uh, it is one way that he set it up to, oh, we got a lot of places we got to be in these two hours. So let's, let's just say we're there. Um, we also like the minimal approach because out in the garden under that big tree with the set wrapping around the tree, um, we want to also focus on the storytelling and some people who may not have been to see a Shakespeare play before. Um, we want the language to wrap around them and we feel like we can do a lot by latching onto that language. Uh, in addition to that, like you said, the immersive quality, 
not in control of maybe the bats or the moths that fly around from night to night or a bunny rabbit jumps on stage with us for an act, um, is that the audience is so very close to us that some audiences like to say that they feel like they are actually a part of the action. So, um, yeah, the, the approach to each production uh, is talked about between the director and the designers as to how far we want to go in terms of set pieces, costume pieces. We also consider all this stuff because because we are out of doors, um, costumes need to be durable because we're going to be running through the woods and sometimes in mud when it rains. And uh, also, if some uh, unexpected weather comes, we got to be able to also rip this stuff down and put it in the storage. <laughs> so there, there are a lot of things when you're talking about outdoor theater that one doesn't really think about if you're sitting inside a theater, right. uh, which keeps us keeps us on our toes. Certainly. Well, and and all of those different challenges, I think, just lend themselves to what you're doing, because at the end of the day, if you focus in on the storytelling, uh, you're doing a pretty good job. So all of that other superfluous stuff can fade into the background. And and in your situation, the challenges uh, of doing it outdoors often serve to enhance the production. At least that's how I would see it. Sure. Yeah. As you said, with The Tempest that you had uh, seen the night you volunteered, Last summer during Henry V, when we were about to go into the Battle of Agincourt and everyone is on their horses and they actually were fighting the English and the French uh, in a huge storm. And the rain was such over the number of days that a lot of the French's horses got stuck in the mud, broke their legs. And that was partially uh, the reason why the war ended up the way it did but the night that we were about to go into battle and it stormed out and audiences were dead set against leaving at that moment we sort of went through that together and of course that's one for the books you know the audience will never forget that night when they saw that play because this happened right so yeah it's very it's a very very unique and special place you know speaking of challenges uh why don't we jump back to kind of the beginning of the year when when <laughs> things started really, really coming down, particularly in March. Uh, oh. At what point of the year uh, do you start moving forward with your productions in terms of hiring actors and, and getting uh, stage designers and that type of stuff? Uh, what point of the process were you in, say, when the Safer at Home order or happened? And mm. kind of walk me through the process of dealing with the challenges of this year early on. Right. Um as soon as one summer is up and running, we are we are brainstorming and thinking about the next summer so that by the uh, end of October, our budgets are approved. And by uh, early March, when all this started unfolding, we were completely cast. All offers went out to actors and designers. We had begun production meetings, so renderings for set and costumes were already nearing completion. So the only thing that we hadn't done was actually all come to Door County and started rehearsals. Uh, We were also adding a third production this summer, which was going to start in May, uh, a month earlier than we normally do. So... Yeah, we were pretty much by early to mid-April, people were supposed to be arriving to start rehearsals. And the painstaking phone calls and decision-making, as you can imagine, or any organization, 
Wood uh, was just uh, heartbreaking, to say the least. Right. Yeah. So you you really had to make your decisions kind of early on before you got to the point of no return, or or were you already at that point by the time that uh, the Safer at Home order came through? Well, we were uh, Amy Ensign, the managing director, and myself. Uh, we followed this as it unfolded, day by day by day. Uh, because as a number of theaters were and uh, still were doing up to a number of months ago, we continued saying, well, we'll push it back a little further, uh, push it back a little further until it became clear that um, pushing back further meant we're basically going into and through the summer. And for the safety and well-being of everyone, uh, we need to make the decision to cancel. So we did. We did. Um, decide pretty surely that by mid-March, that's the direction we were heading. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing that I've noticed with a lot of arts, with a lot of arts organizations, uh, including the theaters up here, is that the transition from audience engagement on stage to to engaging your audience remotely over social media seems to be something that arts organizations are able to pivot to pretty easily, uh, just mm-hmm. in terms of having the resources available to get people in front of cameras and to you know create entertaining content anyway. Tell me a little bit about some of the things that Dor Shakespeare has done just to engage their audience over the last couple of months uh, leading up to this production of Rosaline, which we'll talk about shortly. Well, it's been, um, I'm, I'm more of a, a baby step person. I mean, give me Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I got that. Um, so those couple of months that we were between cancellation and taking our next steps and making those public, uh, a lot of it was uh, Facebook related in that we've had artists from the past uh, we asked for snippets of them recalling a favorite summer, a, fam- a favorite moment, a favorite time, a favorite role, um, so that we could continue connecting the artists to those people that may follow us. Um, some companies uh, were much more aggressive and maybe daily send outs and reaching people day to day to day. But um, myself and Amy were, were a, a staff of two. So while we're trying to do everything else, uh, we were operating the way that we thought, um, which was a, a special announcement or a special visit from someone on social media uh, once a week or so. Um, because at the same time, we were doing a lot of behind-the-scenes planning for what was to come. But our audiences... You know, even though the arts organizations and hospitality industry are suffering uh, great in terms of uh, nationwide, um, the devotion that you feel from people who are patrons of the arts and who may drift to you for whatever particular reason, their support really shines in times like this. And uh, it, it shows that not only do they... Uh, root for you, but they really, uh, a lot of people miss art in their lives. So um, that's been encouraging uh, as well right now. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up because I'm sure that a lot of people were disappointed to see cancellations across the board, but I feel like the majority of them were very supportive as well in in reaching back out and and that kind of thing. And, And I appreciate 
the work that you've done and the work that some other theaters have done just to put the artists front and center again and reconnect the audience to them uh, right. in, in a more personal way. I, I've enjoyed seeing that. So uh, it's been it's been nice to see that in lieu of, you know, the productions that we might have normally seen. Sure. Now, sure. Right. Let's move on to your production of Rosalind. So you decided to move forward with a production and, and you're doing it in a really interesting way. Walk me through the background of deciding to, to try to stage something and then tell me about how you actually went about putting it together. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's um, it, the decision to do what we are in the process of doing uh, is, is uh, twofold. Um, by having the benefit, I guess, of taking part in some of the organization's readings that you may see on Zoom um, and uh, trying to digest that. Zoom was really exciting, I think, the minute that all this went down and we thought, oh, good, we, we are connected to the world. And there's no right or wrong way, I think, for organizations to move forward. But watching some of these things, um, and deciding on the kind of work that we wanted to do for our first virtual sharing um, that will be Rosalind, we made the decision that the one thing that uh, we would like to show our folks who are coming to see the show virtually is a production, an actual production um, uh, outside the Zoom box. So what we decided to do is uh, another actor friend of mine, Ryan Schabach, who is a self-taught uh, film geek and editor, as well as a wonderful actor who was going to play Hamill this past summer. Um, I said, okay, let's use Zoom to rehearse, but let's use Zoom all the time to rehearse. But we're also going to act it. We're going to stand up. We're going to put on costumes. We're going to have sets and we're going to walk around and we're going to film ourselves having uh, the scenes played out. Now, there's three actors in the play. So we decided, well, they're all in a cottage by the sea. So we're going to need three fireplaces. We're going to need three tea sets. We're going to need three tablecloths. We're going to need three of this. We needed three of every single set and prop piece that we were going to use so that when we filmed the actual recording of the scene work happening, um, it would, in the end, knocking on wood, uh, appear as though people were coexisting in the same space. So we had Zoom as our base. So no matter what we were doing, no one is going to be just talking to a camera. They were always going to be acting with their scene partner from their individual home. In order to do the setup shots, uh, because we were filming the sequences, we uh, had people have their tripods. We, Dor Shakespeare, sent one of the actors a tripod. They didn't have one at the time. And we said, okay, what kind of phone do you have? What kind of phone do you have? I6, I this, iPhone this. All right, you're going to be filming with your phones. We're going to help you with the setup shot. When we've talked through the setup shot, you have to FaceTime us, the director, myself, because I need to see what that setup shot is with you getting back into the frame. Great. It looks great on FaceTime. Hang up on FaceTime. Press record on your phone and action. That is how we filmed every scene of the play. 
And now we're in the editing process. Uh, we have we did three shots of every scene, uh, wide angle, uh, close up, and mid. Uh, so we've gone through hundreds of uh, clips of footage and are editing them together uh, as we speak. So that's it in a nutshell. Right. Yeah, I I have been reading about this the way that you were putting this on and my my mind just started spinning about the the process of this. So it's really cool to hear you kind of to lay it out. Um I I guess my first question is it, it seems obvious why you'd want to go down this route because you know you might think like well why not just get everybody together on stage film that and then sell tickets to see that filmed version. But I I feel like you guys were focused more on the safety of the performers as well, right? Is that the major decision making uh, uh yeah, yeah. Myself, for example, I'm immunocompromised, so I would not be stepping into a room with uh, anyone, uh, whether or not uh, they're a friend. And they said, oh, I haven't seen many people these days. I uh, One, um, I, I don't think it's safe, personally. Two, because we work with Actors' Equity Association out of New York, everything that we want to do, like this production, must be submitted and either approved or denied by the union. And at this point, they're only granting, there are only a couple shows right now out in Massachusetts that they have given the green light to for a uh, professional actors, uh, members of the, the union to be doing a show on stage, practicing social distancing, wearing masks as they perform, um, so we were not ever going to even, I think, even if we did go down the road of uh, filming live, that that would have been granted to us just uh, because of the members uh, very cautious of the union is very cautious of the safety uh, of everyone. So so that's how we arrived at uh, we're going to do it from the comfort of our homes. Interesting. Now, the, yeah. the the other question that I have is, I, I have a background both in film and in theater, so I, I understand right. the distinction between the two of them. How yeah. did you set out in either your direction or in the staging of this virtual stuff to still uh, stay true to the theatrical roots of what mm. you're doing without necessarily framing things up like this was a, a, remote, a remote short film? Right. Uh, that's a great question, because that's... Um, one of the things that I sort of used for inspiration is even though um, I kept being impressed over the years when like the Downer Theater in Milwaukee or um, the Oriental Theater on the east side here, um, when they would show on the big screen uh, filmed plays by the National Theater in London and people really started flocking to these things. So I thought... We're going to say that this is a play that is filmed because it needs to be in order to reach our audience. It was very clear from the outset that our uh, first few days of rehearsal was table work, where we sit, we read through the story, we talk about the relationships very carefully, uh, we do the scenes several ways, Let's go through any text that may not be clear because it's a play from 1912. Um, and then the next step is Jay and Barry, like George Bernard Shaw, is very, very, uh, very plentiful in his descriptives, in what he envisions the characters doing, where they walk, how they talk, what they do. So using Jay and Barry, whose plays I've directed a number of times, as a guide 
to the staging. Um, then we start talking about the staging. Uh, so many Zoom rehearsals and readings, people are always sitting down. So in the rehearsals, I say to the actors, let's get up on our feet, use a music stand. Sitting has a very different quality. It's very passive, so let's get up. Ryan and I storyboarded the entire script. So when he was in rehearsals watching us, I was rehearsing with them in terms of movement and trying to understand that when you're in your house, so-and-so is going to be to your right. So you have to be turned speaking to someone who's not there, but you will hear them and see them out of frame on Zoom. So while I was directing the staging, Ryan Schaubach was basically writing down what he envisioned as where the camera would need to be placed in order to capture what we wanted. But uh, in the end, I got to say, we're pr- you know most proud of the fact that the intention was always to tell a story and rehearse a play because you got to give, I think, the artists involved. Uh, if you're doing a Zoom production, that's one thing. But the artists are giving their time, their energy. Why not go the extra mile and give them the props and the costumes and this and that? And knowing that at the end, they are still talking and listening to each other, even though what we'll see on the screen may come across, maybe as a, as you said, it may come across as a short film. But the approach, but the approach was completely theater based right well and i think that's the other thing too is the these actors aren't acting in isolation they're still communicating with each other and and bouncing their performance off of each other even though they might not be in the same room right and that's you know for acting 101 at least as a teacher you can be doing anything you want but if you're not talking and listening to your actual scene partner well then that's sort of a cop-out then you're not then you're not rehearsing a play. Then then we could approach it completely differently and say, let's do a film. Right. And and sort of forego some of the initial process. Right. Uh, before we wrap up, Michael, tell me a little bit about the actual play that people will be seeing. We, we talked about the process, but give me your elevator pitch for what Rosalind is about. <laughs> right. Well, there's a little cottage by the sea where uh, the mother of famous stage actress, the mother's name is Mrs. Page, uh, she stays at the cottage of a woman named Dame Quickly. And all these characters, of course, have little references in their name, Shakespeare. She goes away just for a little holiday. But a young man comes because it was raining outside and he's wet and wants to warm up by a fire. So he just happens upon this cottage. And when he enters the cottage to warm up, he sees on the mantle a framed photo of a very beautiful actress. And it's an actress that he is in love with. Her name is Rosalind. And she happens to be the daughter of the Mrs. Page who is vacationing at the cottage. So what unfolds is a young man who's professing his love to the mother of a London stage actress, her responses to his uh, to his profession and uh, exclamations of love, uh, and also she's carrying a secret with her that we come to find out over the course of this forty five minutes um, will change his life and also um, change hers as well. Uh, so it's a 
It's something Jane Barry does very well. It's a very comical piece, yet it has an awful lot of heart to it. And um, and because it, it, one of the reasons I chose it too is I wanted something that was a one act, which is what he wrote it as. Uh, so, in my opinion, less is more on the entertainment front. And um, so it's a, it's it's all bound into a nice forty five uh, minutes. And uh, yeah, it's rarely seen. It's rarely seen. And because it does have a direct connection to Shakespeare, because the young woman that he loves is a Shakespearean actress uh, known for her role as Rosalind and As You Like It on the London stage. Right. J.M. Barry was a huge fan of Shakespeare. So this is his one of his little Valentines to to the bard. You know, it, it reminds me in a way of, of Chekhov's The Bear, just in terms of like this man and this woman meeting yes. in a woman's house, uh, and then their lives intersect briefly and they change each other depending on, you know, all of this stuff. But the, the catalyst of it is a character who isn't necessarily part of the piece. So Exactly. Yeah, That's a lot of similarities with uh, Chekhov's where I think, and uh, Shaw's, there's a sweet piece called How He Lied to Her Husband, which is also deals with a young man who goes through basically uh, the many phases of first love in half an hour or less. So um, it's a painful, but it's a funny thing, you know? Right. Um, yeah, so it's uh, it's sweet, and uh, Kay Almond, who plays uh, Mrs. Page, she was a Door Shakespeare regular for a long time, is a professional actor in Milwaukee, uh, recently retired to become a massage therapist, and she sort of came out of retirement to take on the role of Mrs. Page, so that's very exciting. Very cool. Michael, what else do people need to know about this production? Uh, what are the dates that it's running, and how can people get tickets? It's uh, September 2 through 13. The easiest way to purchase tickets is to go online at Uh It will be playing on a virtual platform, so we are actually selling tickets at $16 for adult, uh, $30 per couple, and you can get a whole household together and watch for for $40, but you must purchase your tickets online because then you're issued your own pass code to see the piece. Um, So it is like going to the theater, except you don't have to leave. Uh, The other thing is we're offering this beautiful um, virtual program online. So the first thing you get when you enter into your theater after you put your passport in is you'll be given or presented with your virtual program, which will give you all information on the many things we have planned up until the end of the year, as well as a lot of history of J.M. Barry, the play itself. And, um, what Door Shakespeare has been going through, as we discussed a bit, um, since the pandemic. So it's, uh, yeah, and you can click on all sorts of links within this program and go to many places. So that's a whole little extra thing right there. Great. Well, Michael, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and telling me about Rosalind. I, I think that this is a really unique thing that you guys are, are doing, and it, I'm excited to see how it turns out. I'm sure that you guys are also excited to see people's reactions to it coming up here over September. Uh, is yeah. there anything else that folks need to know before we wrap up today? Uh, I think we're pretty good. I mean, thank you so much for 
um, reaching out to us and covering the piece, uh, all all these things that people are doing, which is really lovely, really helps us uh, stay alive and encouraged uh, for the future. So Great. I appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you so much, Michael. Okay. Talk to you later. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.